0: I was interested in fabrics and fiber in all directions. I actually call textiles like my first ecstasy because when I was a kid, I remember going and I would stand in the, like at the threshold of a fabric store, or of a yarn store, or of a rug store. Anything that had beautiful textiles, and my heart would pound in my chest. It was such an intense experience for me to look at all these colors and textures and designs and patterns. I would get this sort of like energy that would like course through me and I would think, oh my God, oh my God, I could do this, I could do this, I could do this. Which is why when I first discovered Kay Fawcett's work and then later met him and got to know his work on a grand scale, had such an impact on me because I felt like he embodied everything I had felt as a child growing up, you know, that sort of sense of this explosion of possibilities that came from working with fibers, you know. He's stayed so true and focused on that, and he really is like the living embodiment of my childhood experience.
1: <laughs> Welcome to Hello Atelier. I'm your host, Betsy Blodgett, and with me is producer Jonathan Getz Cut. Take five. Wait. In fact, everybody, that's lunch. (laughs) What are you doing? Ah, I'm kidding. I just wanted to set the scene for our next guest, whose film set downtime is at the heart of her off-screen passion. Yes, our guest, actor and director Karen Allen, is part of a long tradition of actors who spent hours on set knitting. Word on the street is that both Hepburns, Catherine and Audrey, were knitters. Lucille Ball, Julia Roberts, Ryan Gosling, and loads more also leaned on the yarn and needles to stay busy between takes. But I'm guessing no other actor has transformed their on-set knitting hobby into an art form and business like Karen. I think Karen stands alone in that regard. She's traveled the world soaking up textile culture, learning about colors, textures, and techniques, She studied at FIT, mastered specialized knitting machines, and funneled all of that knowledge into designing a line of knitwear. Those machines are no joke. The next time we watch Raiders of the Lost Ark, note that Karen's character, Marion Ravenwood, might be genuinely interested in those fabrics she's admiring in the Cairo marketplace. Not even Indiana Jones can distract her from a well-woven textile. Hearing her tell the story of her passion for textiles from such a young age, it's a wonder she ended up doing anything else. But I'm glad that she did. And that's exactly where we'll start with Karen's grandmother leading her down the knitting path.
0: I spent summers with her. She lived in Illinois, a little tiny town across the river from St. Louis. I just remember watching her knit. Like, from the time I remember her, I remember her knitting. And I was probably five or six years old when she taught me how to knit. And I, I probably just learned the basics from her. I would then go off and w- we traveled around a lot. My, my family did when I was growing up. So I would go off and then, you know, continue knitting on my own. And little by little, I think, you know, just kind of got more skillful at it and got more interested in the design aspect of it over the years she knit nonstop. She would do things for like charity bazaars and things like that. She did afghans, she did sweaters, she did slippers, she did you name it. She she was just always kind of a fountain, you know, things just sort of flowed out of her hands and I think I always thought that was very cool. You know, it was a very cool thing to be able to do. I had gotten very interested in design and in working with fabrics as well as with yarn and i thought i would go and study textile and clothing design i didn't finish i stayed for like a year and a half and it was such a turbulent time in the world it was i was there in 1969 1970 1971 when the war in vietnam was raging and there were lots of demonstrations and kent state happened and Jimi Hendrix died and Janice Joplin died, and there was just so much going on. It, it felt a little uh, wrong to somehow be sitting in a classroom. I don't know. It felt like the world was, was there was more to the world than doing pattern making. <laughs> just, I don't know. And, you know, it seemed at the time to me like everybody who was graduating, it was only a two year school at the time. But it seemed like everybody was graduating and going off to be like, uh, go and fetch it. Coffee people in offices in the design world and the clothing world in New York City. And I just couldn't picture it. I couldn't picture myself doing that. So I I got a job outside of Washington DC as a clothing buyer in a little boutique. And I did that for about a year and a half. And then I took the money I had earned from that job and i went to live in the west indies and from the west indies i met up with two friends and we drove from mexico city to southern peru we spent about a year on the road i was in jamaica for four or five months before we left so it was maybe more like seven seven months of traveling and that really talk about like inspiration i mean first of all the design and the fabrics and the weaving and the what they're doing in terms of textiles in every country I traveled through particularly Guatemala but also uh, Nicaragua and Costa Rica and Panama and Colombia, uh, Ecuador Peru. It was like a lesson unlike any I could have ever really experienced sitting in a classroom in (laughs) in New York City. Uh, So it further deepened my love of textiles by just spending that year on the road and going to all kinds of little marketplaces you could go to. You know, one that sticks in my mind most is Chichit Castanengo up in uh, in Guatemala. Just the most, most beautiful weavings and they're very personal. They weave their clothing to tell the story of their lives. Mm and in terms of the colors and the designs and um, really quite moving that was all my kind of early education in terms of, of stuff although I used to read a lot about fa- you know I was very interested in fabrics very interested in how fabrics are made and and what the different possibilities are and it's a just a preoccupation I have. <laughs> Well, it's interesting. I always continued knitting because I just enjoyed doing it. To me, it was a very uh, meditative kind of thing to do, to hand knit. There were certainly, you know, lots of opportunities to, to do it when I went into the theater to work because there's lots of periods of time of where you're rehearsing something and you'd just be sitting for a couple of hours while some other part of that is being rehearsed and it always was this kind of thread that ran through my life. I was always collecting yarns everywhere I went. I was always putting things together and trying to figure out how I could solve certain problems that I saw in the knitting world like I got very frustrated with patterns because I often felt like patterns were not a real, you know, things when you would see something, you think, oh, that's a nice design. And then you would knit it per the instructions. Very rarely came out to look like what I wanted it to look like. So I, I began to kind of just freestyle things, you know, and I found myself getting involved. I in, had studied pattern making, so, you know, I had a little bit of background in that area. When I would go off to do a film, I mean, that's an enormous opportunity to do a lot of knitting, because nobody who has never been on a film set has any idea how much time you sit around, like waiting while things are being set up or while things are being broken down or, God forbid, you have bad weather, and then you're really sitting around for hours and hours and hours. So if you don't have something constructive, productive to do, you, you can start getting quite restless I would always travel with one suitcase full of yarn and one suitcase full of clothes. I would go into my trailer and just set up a little design studio, and so it was always a little tandem experience. Often,
1: we as artists need a catalyst to drive our work to the next level. In Karen's case, it was a simple trip to the bookstore. This was where Karen had a chance encounter with a book she never knew existed, Kate Facet's Glorious Knitting. The moment she opened that book changed her perspective on knitting, color, and design in ways that continue to influence her
0: work today. I was very inspired by Cafe, and I just started going off in in different directions. I mean, Cafe was everything I had been looking for creatively in terms of knitting. You get to a certain point and you're you're trying to break out of a kind of uh, rut that you can get into. I never was particularly drawn to technical knitting. Mm -hmm. I was always drawn to the more creative aspects of knitting. And I'll never forget the moment when I opened his book for the first time. I was in a little bookstore in uh, College Park, Maryland, and I pulled this book out, Glorious Knits, I pulled it out and I opened it up and literally I just sat down on the floor and I stayed there for about 45 minutes looking at this book, and I'd just never seen anything like it before in my life, and I almost was like shaking, you know, I was like, oh my God, oh my God, how's he doing this? And then I bought the book, and I kind of, the book became my Bible for a while, because it was, I think, everything I had in my head, suddenly it was like there in front of me, and I thought, it represented pure freedom to me, mm-hmm. like the freedom to do whatever you wanted to do you know knitting can seem very linear it's like yeah you're back and forth and back and forth and oh wow you did a stripe oh you know how creative you know but suddenly he just threw out all the rules he broke all the rules of knitting in every culture of knitting I've ever studied when I worked with him he handed out postcards to everybody Here's a Van Gogh postcard, and here's a Monet postcard, and here's Picasso postcard. And then he would say, Knit that. Knit the postcard. Knit the painting. And that was our task for whatever the three three or four days we were there, which was a fascinating task for everybody. You know, we got to kind of really just play with the idea that you can create anything you want to create, that there are no boundaries, yeah. I like it to be when I'm working in here, you know, I have a lot of colors around me and it's very spontaneous the way that I use color. I don't think about it. It's almost the opposite of acting or storytelling. It's, I try to just get into a place where I put like my more kind of critical judgment to the side and I just go with like almost like an impulse of what, It's like I think of colors as having a vibration. And particularly when you put colors next to each other, it either increases or diminishes the vibration. So I I kind of like to play with that. It's more like music to me than something like acting. In acting, you really are dissecting. You know, you're stepping into the shoes of another person, but you have the story that was written by a playwright or a screenwriter, and you're really trying to enter that person's world. And to do that, you really need to understand it deeply. It's a more intellectual process. I try to let this be completely Mm non-intellectual, which I really enjoy. One has to have something in one's life that you don't have to think too much about. (laughs) There's obviously some thought that goes into it, and there's some thought that goes into the design of it, and I'm constantly futzing with designs to get them just right and futzing with the, the weight of the fabric or how I want something to drape. But I would say the essential creative thing is very free, more impulsive, more non-linear. Like just, it's experimental. I'm just trying things out. Mm-hmm. For many years, Karen's knitting interest came second to
1: her acting career, but when a family move necessitated an acting hiatus in 2002, she turned to textiles for a creative outlet and even returned to FIT, the Fashion Institute of Technology, for a course on working with knitting machines. Finally able to fully focus on her textile art, she tested the limits of the machines, often overriding the built-in designs to create her own unique knitting style.
0: I had come into contact with knitting machines somewhere in the late 80s or early 90s. And I'd always been a hand knitter, and I was intrigued by the knitting machines a little bit. But then, I don't know, I just found them a little too complicated, a little too noisy. <laughs> My first encounter with them was to not like them. Mm-hmm. I think I had like a little two-day workshop or something, and I thought, oh, this is so not for me. And then I was living in New York in the early 2000s, and my son, we were going to come back up here for him to go to a school up here, up here being in western Massachusetts. So I thought, well, what am I going to do if we go back up there? And he's in school, and I can't really travel, so I'm not going to be you know, really working in the film world as much, maybe in the summers if a project comes along where the timing is right. So I thought, I'll go back to FIT, because I, I had seen that they were they taught these courses like intensives, where you could go in and it was like eight hours a day for like two or three days. You could study, you know, you could that would be like the beginning course, and then you could do the next weekend, you could do like an intermediate course, and then there was the advanced course, and I thought, okay... I'll do that because I thought the one thing that could make me feel really creatively satisfied if I was sort of pulled away from the film industry was to really go into my love of textiles more deeply than I'd ever really been able to do before. And I thought possibly the way to do that would be working on these machines because hand knitting, it's a slow process. And if you love the kind of work that K. faucet inspires in you. It's a really slow process. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing. Well, I guess he has people who knit for him these days. But I mean, it's incredible how, how much time one would put into doing one of his sweaters or or a sweater that was done in, in the style of, God forbid, you decided you wanted to knit a blanket or a quilt or something, you know, like a couple of years of your life <laughs> Because, I, of course, it wasn't what I did for a living, so it was always, you know, stop and start and stop and start. But um, I thought, I'm going to tackle these machines and see if, if there's something I could do on them. And I did not find them easy to work on at all. So I had a really good teacher at FIT named Marion Grelish, who has stayed a, a, a wonderful friend and continues to be my teacher on the machines. I've developed an enormous love and respect for these machines. You know, if you started working on these when you were 10 and you were still working on them at 90, you would only have scratched the surface of what they can do. And then I bought two machines and I brought them up to Western Massachusetts. And in a little studio down the road from my house, I spent a year just messing around with them, like trying to figure out, if there was anything interesting I could do on them. And I would say practically everything interesting that I learned to do came from making mistakes. Nothing interesting came from doing it the way you're supposed to do it. And every time I would make a mistake, I would think, oh, <laughs> that's, that looks pretty good. <laughs> and I, would, I kept meticulous notes about all the mistakes I was making and what the effects of... In fact, in in the end, I would make books of my mistakes, and I would say how I had created something. And I got so that I was using the machines in ways that they weren't meant to be used. For many years, I had a kind of love-hate relationship with them. Now it's kind of all love. The hate has gone away. (laughs) I had a year where I played around, and at the end of that year, I thought, There's some really interesting things I can do with this. And I started to make scarves and hats and sweaters, little by little by little. There just happened to be a little gallery that was, nothing was going on in it. And a friend of mine who's a potter said, hey, you want to like rent this gallery for the summer? I'll show my pottery and uh, you show your knitwear. That was my first sort of revealing of the stuff I was doing. And I literally just created these beautiful little um, dowels. I got little wooden dowels and hung them, and I just, like, hung the scarves and things on the walls. And people seemed to really love them. I mean, they just took to them. It was a very successful summer. I would come in and, you know, put in two or three new ones, and boom, they would be gone. And and I thought, oh, this is quite encouraging. (laughs) And it was, you know, it's very motivating when when people, you know, seem to be responding to what you're doing. So I took it to heart and I just sort of kept going and kept experimenting and kept doing things and found it all very invigorating. And it grew and grew to a point to which I thought, I think maybe I'm creating a little business here. You know, then the question comes, well, so you're making all this stuff. And then it's like, what are you going to do with it? One summer, I had two interns, one came from FIT, and one came from RISD, uh, Rhode Island School for Design, and they stayed with me for the summer, and we all worked at this little studio down the road in the countryside, and uh, just made things all summer, and it was really fun, And, and not long after that, I got this idea that maybe if I could find a little tiny store, we would, like, open a little store. And then that happened, and, and the store you know, seemed to do really, really well. And I began to bring in other designers, at first local designers, and then always my whole life, because I love textiles so much, I've always had like, certain designers whose work I just love, love, love. So I, I began to kind of go into New York shows and see if I could bring in some of those designers' work into the store as well. And then just kind of kept going from that. Then I've really like branched out searching through the world for the textile designers whose work I really love. For many creatives, there is a pressure to take your artistic outlet and
1: turn it into a business. If you enjoy sewing, you should be making custom dresses. If you're a knitter, you should be writing patterns. If you're a baker, calligrapher, glassblower, whatever, you should be monetizing your interest. Unfortunately, that can be a double-edged sword. On one hand, you are getting paid to do the thing you love. On the other hand, the daily toil of running a business creates expectations that can sap your creativity, assuming there's any time left over to create. As Karen's business grew, she had to find a way to relieve some of these pressures and rediscover her passion for
0: creating textiles. Well, it's interesting. I was really going to close the studio because I got very busy doing other things and I thought the store in a sense becomes like the demanding, you know, they're like we need more of this, we need more of that we're running out of this, we you know somebody's asking for this we would often take custom orders and it was a lot of pressure on me to show up and get all these things done and, and sometimes I would be having difficulties with one or more than one of the machines and so I just decided to reconfigure my perspective. And I just said, I was feeling like the pressure was making me feel an either or thing. Like I either shut down the studio and it's over because I don't want to deal with that kind of pressure or I kind of let go of other things in my life and just focus on this, which I wasn't really ready to do because there were interesting things. And I thought, you know, that's kind of a a mind trip that I'm doing to myself like I don't have to do this or this I can reinvent another version of it and my version of it was what if I don't think in terms of a business what what if I just think in terms of the love of doing it and what if I don't make anything for a year It's not a crisis. We have other things in the store. If somebody wants a pair of gloves and we don't have them, nothing major is going to happen. So I said to the women that work with me, I don't want to do that anymore. I'm going to be here when I can be here. I'm going to enjoy making what I can enjoy making. I don't want to take any custom orders. I just want to like, this is what I'm making. Because to tell you the truth, it was putting a kind of weird pressure on me in terms of production. Like I would come up here and I would stop feeling like this was a creative endeavor at all. And I would just have lists of things that needed to be made. And I would be sitting down and I just felt like my own employee. Here you have to make 10 of this scarf or whatever, this scarf in 10 different colors or... And it was a lot of the pleasure was going out of it for me. And a lot of the creativity was going out of it for me. I felt like I was just remaking things that I had designed five or six or ten years ago because there was a demand for them. But what what really gave me the most pleasure, which was to kind of make new things and to do it differently and to kind of get into that other creative framework, I felt like all of that had gone away, like I had lost all of that, like it had just, it had become a business in a way, like I felt like a little automaton a bit, and I just said, I don't have to do that, I'm going to just stop doing that, and it turned everything around, it made it possible for me to reconnect to the joy of doing it. Now I tend to come in here and I think, ooh, what do I want to do? And it doesn't, it doesn't feel like, what do I have to do? It feels like, what do I want to do? How would I like to work on something today? Like, I don't know whether it'll work or not. Like an experiment, like, hmm, I think I'll try this, I think I'll try that. And that's a good place to be creatively because then it, it has a longer life. You can really burn out by trying to create the business side of it and you lose the creativity.
1: Thank you for listening to Hello Atelier. We hope you enjoyed this interview with artist, actor, and director Karen Allen. Be sure to visit the website for Karen's West Barrington, Massachusetts store at KarenAllen-FiberArts.com. To see photos from our visit to Karen's studio, conveniently located just above the store, head over to HelloAtelier.org. Lastly, if you haven't heard it already, listen to Hello Atelier episode 16 with Kay Fassett, Karen's biggest knitting influence.